I like Christmas. Um, we have certain traditions in our house about Christmas and um, some of them we wanted to stop a decade ago but the, our children who are, our oldest is 26 and our youngest is 19, just lucky they're not here or I'd embarrass them keenly. Um, they just won't let us stop. Um, so we always used to, we would have a, um, like a budget set out for Christmas um, and um, I was very good at sticking to that budget until it, because we've always given our children, you know, Christmas stockings, if you know about them, yeah, you know, you jam all this groovy stuff in there. And I was really good with sticking to the budget until it came to stocking shopping and then I'd just go insane. I'd go to the shop and I'd just load up with all this stuff and then, of course, we had trouble stuffing it in the stocking. Um, but my children got so excited about it but that Emma, who's 26, still requires a stocking on Christmas morning. <laughs> so um, me being a yeah, bit of a softie when it comes to that, um, I've not said no, you, no, you can't. They just flatter their eyes at me and I'm just an absolute sucker for that. Anyway, it's good to be here. Um, why don't we turn our Bibles to Mark, if you have one. I'm not a PowerPoint man technology, just haven't caught up yet. I'm hoping that we will one day, or not hoping, I don't know which one. It's been quite a journey for me at the project. It is, um, it's very, well, it's not very, it's somewhat different than what I've been brought up in. And, and I'm, the somewhat is getting better and better all the time. Um, I am enjoying it more and more. I'm enjoying the connections that I am making in the church. And um, so it's a bit of a journey. Um, so sometimes when um, Pete asked me to preach, I probably used to be really, really sure about that when, um, because I, I did pastor a church for a number of years, so I preached every Sunday, so I was quite sure about what I was doing. And um, because of the journey that I've been on, um, sometimes I find it somewhat a little bit of a challenge. And, um, and then as I was just doing what I was preparing for today, when I was sitting down this morning um, and reflecting, I thought, wow, God's really doing something in here with me. Um, so then I, then I find that off putting because I go, oh, gee, I'm going to be talking about this stuff. And, you know, God's actually saying he's not quite sure how much of this stuff that I'm talking about that I'm actually living so um, it's a little bit challenging. It's pretty exciting, though. All right, we got Mark, um, chapter 2, verse 22, or 23, sorry. And we're just going to read to chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as, he, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man... So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. 
Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see, whether, to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good, to, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill him. I'd like to share this morning um, just do a little bit of a comparison about religion and relationship. Um, we, I believe, we live in a very religious culture. Australians are very religious people and when I say religious it doesn't mean they all go to church because that's clearly not because otherwise we'd be in a bigger building and we'd be turning people away and we're not quite doing that yet. But we're very religious um, culture about different things. We're probably very religious about our sport, um, very religious about um, our work, we're very religious about our holidays. Um, so we, we live in this Western culture that's very, very religious. And I believe, as we've see, seen in these two little passages of, of Scripture, that Jesus re- was always confronting the culture of the day, he was always confronting religion. The Pharisees were all about religion and maintaining control of their world, but Jesus was always about confronting that and um, challenging their perceptions and doing stuff that sent their religious ways into like a little bit of turmoil. Um, So those were the people who lived by the law, the Pharisees. But Jesus... was moving with a group of people called his disciples and he was teaching them how to live in relationship. They were on a bit of a journey together. They were travelling from a religious, a religious culture into a, a relational culture. And I think that's the journey that God wants to take us all on. A journey from being religious... And living out of that religiosity, I guess you could say, to a journey of relationship. Who has trouble trusting? I have trouble trusting. Lots. But in relationship, that's one of the main components about trusting. So I just want to look at some things about religion. It's not long. It won't take me long. But, and then some things about relationship. Religion. Religion is a lot of the time about Rules. Why do we have rules? Because it keeps things in control. It's a bit of a safety net. Now, so we have rules that are great, like we have laws. You know, um, I'm a driving instructor, so we have, there's lots of road rules that we need to adhere to, otherwise the roads would be chaos. Um, so there's rules. But a lot of times we have personal rules, and these rules help us keep life boxed up, keep the perimeters nice and strong so that we feel comfortable with life, so that we know what's going on, we're in a little bit of control of our world. So they're just, they're a safety net. 
So instead of, we'll get into that, but instead of falling back on a, on a secure relationship, a lot of times we fall back on our rules, spoken and unspoken. Sometimes we don't um, speak out our rules, they're just part of our makeup. And sometimes our, um, our growing up in life, our, the way we were parented, um, things that happened to us, experiences, how we, what happened to us in our educational experience, our schooling, what happens to us in our work life, it all shapes how we live. And so we have these set of rules, some spoken, some unspoken, that we fall back on, that makes our world okay. Another thing is performance. Performance is about being accepted and approved of. How many times do you catch yourself doing what you need to do so that you will be accepted? Accepted by... Let's just have a think about that. Who, who would we like to be accepted by? Well, I can share a bit of my personal experience. Um, I set my... Christian life and my church life up so that I would be accepted by um, those that those that mattered. So those that were higher up the chain than me, um, particularly a lot of times it's my brother because he's been a minister for a lot longer than I have. And um, so a lot of times I was I set my life up as long as I got the the um, tick of approval from those that mattered, then that was good. And most of the time God really didn't come into the equation. He didn't really matter. He mattered, but he didn't really matter. He mattered in my mind because I always talked about him, but he didn't really matter in my heart because I really wasn't, look, I really wasn't looking for his approval because I had it anyway. Um, but I really wasn't... That wasn't my, my motivation. So when I used to... Sue and I were um, in charge of worship in a church in Townsville that, that my brother was a pastor of. And as long as at the end of that my performance was okay, then I went home feeling good. You know, the more, if he said that, or the more people come up and said, oh, Colin, that worship was just really great, you know, the bigger my head got and the better I felt. But it was never really about, you know, what am I actually giving away? I, I performed and probably performed quite well, I don't know. I was there at the time, but um, I can't remember. Um, I probably performed quite well. Um, but it wasn't really about am I, is my heart to give away the connection that I have with him or is my heart just to make sure that I get the tick of approval. And it's not only that we... Approval is a big thing in our family environment, in our work environment. It's all about making sure that we actually are approved of. And I believe that's a very religious thing. Performance is all um, about being religious. Image and status... Image and status make us somebody. I wouldn't know anything about that. To be part of the who's who. So, I mean, I guess that's tied in with um, our performance level, how we perform. But image and status, if we read about um, through the Gospels, and the Pharisees are mentioned a lot in the Gospels, they are all about image and status. When people look at me, what do they see? And and that's what they were about. Remember in in Scripture when... um, the guy was standing in church and he was praying. He was saying, Father, thank you so much that I'm not like that person over there 
or that person over there, you know. Thankfully, I'm not like them, but, but um, you know, thankfully, I'm not like um, Peter Sondergaard who came to church this morning in a T-shirt and thongs. But look at me. I'm so well-dressed, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those sorts of things. It's all about being part of the who's who, looking good and feeling good, not so much, mm, not so much feeling good in here because often we don't feel good in here irrespective of how we look out here and who we're connected to. But, but to us it's important because we are religious people. It's important that we look, we look the part and um, we are because that makes image and, um, image and status get us accepted and, and that's what a lot of times that's what we're about. Power and control. Power and control gives us the edge on our world. Who's, who's all about power and control? Oh, I am. Oh, I love this stuff, hey? It's great. Power and control, it gives you the edge. It makes your world okay. So it, <laughs> I was thinking this morning, so it gives us control over our circumstance. So a good way to test this is if um, you are asleep and you're having a lovely little sleep and you're dreaming about lovely things and then you wake up, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Have a think about that. What's the first thing that pops into mind? The first thing that pops into my mind is um, usually something that I have to do that day, some part of what I have to control, what I have to make work. You know, it could be when I wake up, some um, hair-raising student that I have to go for my first drive with and then a little bit of panic might set in. No, that's not true. It's usually about that. It's about something. Now, my, my I can talk about my wife. She's here even, so I can talk about it. On the way up the church, <laughs> I'm going to be very careful. See, see, did you see that? On the way up the church, because Sue and my youngest daughter are going to America um, tomorrow. Um, Sarah's um, performing in some uh, wonderful um, Rising Stars talent quest in Orlando. Um, and they've been busy preparing for that. And um, so she was, Sue was busy this morning doing that. And on the way up, and when, when there's a lot of things happening and there's a lot of things happening for Susan, um, her mind works incredibly fast and I really struggle to keep up. So she, if we're going somewhere, she will talk about 25 different things and I used to, I used to react about every one of them, bang, bang, bang. And by the time we got, a lot of it happened on our way to church, by the time we got to church, we'd just be in one big ball of argument and I'd be fuming, you know, and I don't really know what about um, because I probably probably because I didn't have I couldn't answer all her questions, and so this <laughs> this morning on the way up, she was running through a phone and she she started asking, yeah, um, what have we done about that? And it'll be things, it'll be random things that probably we haven't talked about for a, quite a while. She'll be, she'll be starting to rattle them off, and I was able to say, honey, <laughs> do you think maybe we could talk about those things after church? And immediately she goes, oh, oh, yeah. And then I said, maybe you could take some time just to breathe on our way up this morning. And she, <laughs> and she, and she said, oh, I find that really hard to do. <laughs> because, there's a, because there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening in her world. And, uh, and it's really difficult when there's a lot happening in your world to maintain relational connection. Do you find that? When, there's a, when you're busy and there's a whole horde of stuff happening, it's really difficult to maintain good relational connection. So you can, you can imagine um, 
when you first wake up in the morning and, and God's there because he's always there and he wants to connect with you. That's his, that's his, that's his heart's desire. That is it. He wants to connect with his people. And, but as soon as we wake up, we are just thinking about everything else except him. And we're working out how our day's going to go and how life's going to work. And if you've got children, oh, my God, you poor people. Our children are grown. We don't have any of those at home anymore. It's really, it's really difficult. So power and control, it gives us the edge on our world. If we could only work out, but I, I'll, I'll share a little secret with you, is that you never actually get it worked out. You never get it all. It never runs quite the way that you have planned in your mind. Your day never quite goes quite the way that you've planned in your mind. So it's all, really what we're doing when we live in a religious state, what we're doing is we're just trying to manage the chaos because life is chaotic and we're just trying to manage it. And really what the Pharisees were doing was just really trying to manage the chaos. If everyone, would just, if everyone just lived by the law, then life would be okay. And then Jesus shows up and does everything but. You know, he walks through a field and eats grain with his disciples. He heals a man on the Sabbath. You know, he challenges their perceptions. He challenges their beliefs. You know, and it must, I reckon, it, well, it did. It made them extremely angry, it made them upset. Do you ever get angry or upset when your, your world is challenged? When you're, I mean, I went to this, um, <laughs> I went to this um, counselling course I don't know, over a decade ago now, and um, everything about what I believed, everything was challenged. Everything. And, man, I was angry for two years. <laughs> I was. I was, I, was, I was livid, man, because everything about my, you know, it just upset my control. Well, I thought I had it all worked out. You know, my picture was that we would, Sue and I would pastor a growing church and it would be thriving and things would be happening and it would be great. But obviously the opposite happened. None of that went the way that I planned. But along with that, everything about what I thought about that was all challenged. Everything, how I thought my marriage should work was all challenged. How I thought I should bring up my children was, was all those. And so my world was just... And so I was really angry. I was angry at God, man. How dare you? How dare you want to tell me how to live? And I was angry. I was angry and it took, it took some time to uh, process all that. Last thing is, uh, well, not last thing, um, knowledge. We're trying to manage the chaos, remember? So knowledge. So power and control gives us the edge over our world, so over our circumstance. Knowledge gives us the edge over people because it's all about what you know, isn't it? It's all about what you know. Have you ever found yourself when you're in a conversation with someone, not, not, not about anything um, deep and meaningful, but could be about anything, and um, they're telling you a story and in the back of your mind you're thinking of a better story to go back. <laughs> or they're telling you about some facts and in the back of your mind you're thinking, where is it that I know better than that? Where, how, how do I know more than that? Just so you... Because knowledge equals power. So you... you, you, you Think about that and have a think about that the next time you're talking to someone and they're telling you something and somewhere back here you're going, oh, <laughs> I've got a better story than that. Just wait till they're finished. So you're not really listening to them, to their story. You're already, you're already making your own. So you can go back and go, oh, yeah, I, I, listen to this. 
listen to this and I'll tell you something. It's interesting how we work because it's all about making our world okay and say knowledge equals power and power gives us, gives us great control. If we, if we have power, then we have control. So all the stuff about us being religious people is all about our world. So what we want, we would be happy, I feel I would be happy sometimes, hopefully not all the time because I'm on a journey and life is changing. But it's, it's about my world and so what I would like is for God to enter my world and make it okay for me. So God, if you could just fix this, if you could fix whatever, my friends, my wife, my children, if you could just make that work for me so that then my life could be better, then that would be a wonderful picture. So God wants us, God wants to take us, or he is taking us on a journey from our religious chaotic state because he wants us to enter into a world of relationship which is all about what he's doing, not about what we're doing. Now, we, we all, I, I will say, I'll say from, from my mouth that I am all about what God's doing. That's what I want my life to be about. But does my life line up with that? Well, no, no, it doesn't in a lot of places because a lot of places in my life, my life's about, still about me and what I want to do. And that's, what, that's the journey that Jesus was on with his disciples. He was taking them on a journey out of their religious behaviours into a wonderful relationship. I want to read for you um, a little thing out of a book called Redemption, which probably most of you know about. And those of you that have done Recalibrate will know a lot about the Redemption book. Um, There's a little bit that I found incredibly challenging in the back of this. It's called Religious... Addiction. And um, how often, <laughs> when you read a book, how often do you skip to the back and see how it finished? Yeah, sometimes you do. Reading a story, sometimes you go, i just got to work out what happens here. Then I can go back and read the best of the book and I'll feel relaxed. I won't feel so intense about what's going on. Well, I, there's not really an ending, but I read, I went to the appendix and thought, oh, oh, religious addiction. Let me have a read of this. This looks interesting. Religious addiction is one of the most... Um, Curlingest addictions of all, David Rowlandson makes the surprising claim that religion and addiction have much in common. And to make the point, he offers this definition. To addict is to bind, devote or attach yourself as a servant, disciple or adherent to something. That's an incredible statement. An addiction is to bind, devote or attach yourself as a servant, disciple or adherent of something. We should write that somewhere and think about how addictive our lives are. We really are. We, we, we really are very addictive people. Both religion and addiction have to do with what you wrap your life around and to whom or what you surrender as your master. Religion in the good sense implies genuine devotion to God and love of, of thy neighbour. But the practice of religion can be so distorted and counterfeited that it becomes 
religious addiction which Rawlinson calls religiosity. Religiosity is about the show, the impression management and the trappings of religion but not its faith and certainly not its God. Like any other addiction, religiosity serves as an escape from reality. Are you devastated by the loss of a loved one? God is sovereign, blurts the stoic religious addict. Like a knee reflex, and by this he means don't feel it, don't think about it, just detach yourself from it. Since God is sovereign, why should you bother? The religious addict escapes the reality of his own sin too. If he doesn't deny his sin altogether, he finds some way to justify himself, often often noticing how he's not as bad as the next guy. He's not like those heathens. He also justifies himself by doing of and associating with religious stuff, serving, reading, teaching, praying, and church going. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Along with adopting the lingo, the tastes, and the moral lifestyle typically of other religious people. These are his sacrifices to gain his God's favour and to retain his righteous standing. But he is, he is as deceived and rebellious as the Israelites imitating orthodoxy through idolatry. According to Rollinson, religious addictions are harder to break than addictions to cocaine or heroin because they are the hardest to see. And this blindness seems to be strongly reinforced by the authorities of church, culture, certain Bible passages, personal experience and even God himself. In his religious affections, Jonathan Edwards lists many traits that are, no, that are no certain sign of true faith, including intense affections, fluency, frequency or abundance of religious speech, spontaneous spiritual experiences, a tendency for words of scripture to come to mind at just the right time, showing love, conviction and confession, followed by comfort and joy. Great confidence as to the genuineness of the affections experienced. Edwards goes on and on, tearing away just about every sign you ever thought would be surefire evidence of genuine faith. His point isn't that any of these signs are bad. In fact, he's saying that when true faith is present, these signs will be also. The problem is that they can be counterfeited, and they often are. And because all idolatry is essentially deceptive, those who counterfeit them, counterfeit them often don't realise it. They themselves, the religious addicts, are deceived. Challenges is the way that we think. And I believe that religion can be like an intense addiction. We can become very religious about who we are, what we do, how we behave. It's good for us to think about. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 is a, a psalm of David and it's just at the point where he realises, I find this fascinating, it's just at the point where he realises that his life's actually not working. 
He's done some things in his life that he is incredibly disappointed about. He's committed adultery. He's actually mur- he set up. He didn't actually murder someone, but he set it all up to happen. So in theory, he actually murdered him. And someone was bold enough to confront that in him. And so, I guess this is David's cry to God. And I just want to read the first nine verses to start with. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. See the amazing ownership there? See how David's just at the end of his tether. He's just at the end. He no longer can control his life. He's just at the end. And he's just, he's just blurting it all out to God. He's just saying, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Can you just, can you hear that? Can you hear the cry in his heart where he's just got to the end of his world? The end of his world. And he just knows that there's no way out. But what? But God. But God. Let's talk about relationship for a bit. So religion is all about us. Religion's about how our life is, how it affects us, about our circumstances, about our relationships, about how life is for us. And that's how it was for the Pharisees. Life was all about how it was for them, as long as they could keep it, as long as everyone did everything that they believed and they thought, then their world was okay. But let's think about connection. Connection goes beyond the rules. It is more than knowing about him. It's about knowing him. We would, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you would know quite a few things about God, wouldn't you? Quite a few things about God. Or I might know quite a few things about some people in church. I know quite a few things about them but I'm not sure that I really know them. My dad, great man, my dad, he's 88, and um, he got saved on his deathbed when he was in his late 30s. He had a very uncommon disease, which I can't even pronounce the name of, but it affected his respiratory system incredibly. And um, he had a heart and lung collapse twice, and if it wasn't for an old man that used to come in who was a Christian and used to sit and share Jesus with Dad. And for the first number of times that he shared, Dad used to swear and curse at him and tell him to get out. But this man just kept coming back and eventually my dad got saved, incredibly. 
and had some incredible experiences in God and um, really has left an amazing heritage for me. But my dad is a very methodical, likes to have things worked out sort of a guy. Um, and you couldn't tell that if you knew me. Just ask Susan what I'm like and she'll confirm some of those things. So dad would, um, dad would hop up very early in the morning, like at four o'clock, every day that I can remember um, of my school life, and he would go out and spend time um, in the Word and praying. Now, I'm not saying that that is a bad thing. It's not. He was very dedicated. But he lacked somewhat relationally. He just lacked somewhat relationally. And I don't have that many treasured moments, relational moments with my dad. I have some treasured spiritual moments in, in church that are, that are embedded so firmly in my mind that I'll never forget them. But and now that my dad is older um, and he dedicated life, his life to a cause and that was fantastic, but there's some big relational gaps in his life. And he's, he's, he can be quite a depressed man because he was quite religious about life at times. But I love him. I love him dearly. And um, I am so thankful for the amazing Christian heritage that he's, that he's laid out for me. In my marriage to my wife, if my connection didn't go beyond the rules, then our marriage would be dissolved. If I had a set of rules for my marriage and I went into that and we were communicating and then the time was up and I said to say, oh, it's been 15 minutes, if that's enough for today, I've got to go. If I kept to those, if I kept to those rules, we do this, oh, we go out this night. If I kept to all that, right, then it would be really stale, wouldn't it? It just wouldn't work. Wouldn't work for her particularly, um, but luckily we go beyond the rules. So we value connection more than things that need to be done. So connection for us is incredibly important. So if life, sometimes life around us might be in chaos, but in chaos, but we're having some valued connection time, then we break the rules because that is worth more to us. Than anything else, so we go beyond we go beyond the rules. But sometimes, if we are dedicated to make life work, and we want life, our we want to be in control of our circumstances, then we almost find it impossible to go beyond the rules. We would almost go, no, nah, sorry, I've just got to go and get this done. I've just got to do these things because it's all about getting our world in control. So connection goes beyond the rules. Secondly, understanding, and this is about relationship, because relationship is about him and it's about others. Relationship is about him and about others. It's not really about us. It's about him and others. So secondly, understanding and allowing love. Understanding and allowing love. A cry in our heart for a continuing revelation of his love and allowing it to penetrate our heart. 
a cry in our heart for a continuing revelation of his love and allowing it to penetrate our heart. Do you understand everything there is about God's love today? Do you understand that? Man, I don't. I don't. The more I find out, the less I know about him. But I was sitting, I was sitting down this morning in our lounge chair just thinking and um, I thought, man, I so easily take the baton back up. I so easily take the baton of light back up and say, no, 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 no. I can make it work. It's almost, it, I, can al- I can almost hear myself saying, no, no, God, it, it's okay. I've I got this one. i got this one. But if we are, if there's a cry in our heart for a continual revelation of his love and who he is, then those thoughts will never enter my mind because I've never got it. I've never got it under control. I've never got it. And I need, I need to say that to him. God, I don't have it. I don't have it under control. I haven't, I haven't got this one at all. I might think I do, but I don't. I don't have it. Because as soon as we say we do have it, then we, we, we enter the world of the Pharisees. We enter the world of control and religion. We need to practice saying, I don't. I don't have it. I don't got it. I don't got it. I don't want to have it. I want you to have it. And I want you to give it to me. Whenever you want to. And allowing him to penetrate our heart. Him to penetrate our heart. The next little thing I've entitled here, Oh, you mean layers. Who's ever watched Shrek? Everyone's watched Shrek. Yeah, I watched a bit of it yesterday because I just wanted to be sure I wasn't quoting the donkey out of context. So you don't want to do that. They're walking through the field, the vegetable patch, and the donkey's trying to get Shrek to talk about what he's like. Who are you? Who are you? And, um, and then in his frustration... Shrek is actually very honest. He pulls out an onion and says, ogres are like an onion. And the donkey says a whole heap of things like you smell, all that sort of stuff. He says, no, 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 ogres have layers. And then the donkey makes a classic statement and says, oh, you mean layers. Donkeys have layers. Who has layers? We have. We have lots of them, man. We have, we have layers... Thick as thick as thick. Who likes it? <laughs> Who likes it when God wants to peel back our layers? Who likes that? Who put up? Who put up your hand if you just love it when God wants to peel back something, and out from that will come some sort of odor? Well, don't you love it? Eh? When I um, when we um, not long ago when we did recalibrate um. I mean, I, I, I love, I love and I hate, I love it that God wants to get in and, and mess with my life you know, because, because that makes me more like him and my desire is, is to become God-like, not in a self-centred, arrogant way, 
but I want to be, because I've been made in his image. So I have this, I love it, but I'm incredibly frightened of it. I love it. Okay, so when the opportunity came up, um, and um, I thought, oh, this is the thought process that goes through your mind. Um, I've been a Christian for 40 years. You know, I'm in a church that I don't really feel that familiar with. Um, There's a couple of guys that are leading it that I don't really know. They're younger than me, you know. I've pastored a church. I don't really, I don't think I need it, you know. And in the back of my mind and in my heart, there's this little voice going, yeah, you you should do that, Cole. You should do it. I'll be right. You know, I go through this process with Susan a bit sometimes. And she's, she's like that little voice in the back of your mind. She goes, yeah, you should do that. And I go, no, no. You know. And so eventually I go, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then you, you, you know, you're going thinking, oh, yep, I want this, but I really don't want God to uncover you know, some of Colin because there's some things that are not nice about him. But, but if, be assured, be assured, if you allow God, then he will. He will. And we, we have the power to do that. But if you allow him, he will. He will. He will. He will peel back something. And, you know, of course he did. <laughs> he peeled back some stuff. And, um, you know, and I wish Wes Hitsky was here, but he's not. You know, Wes, um, you know, all Wes does is keep having a go at me about some panda thing that I did three decades ago which is t- was really embarrassing, but he finds it really funny. <laughs> um, but in all that, I, I found that these two guys really spoke into my life. And through that, God spoke to me and um, really challenged some of my perceptions that I thought that I'd actually got rid of, but that's I really held dear. You know, and one of my... Huge things in my life has been about um, image and status. It's been really big in my life, and um, to the point to the point that it was just so much more important to me than anything spiritual. Being accepted and recognised was was so much a part of my life, and God started to delve into that and undo that, and it was humbling. It was really humbling. But, you know, I came out of there just having another little notch of freedom in my life because I was able to go, yeah, that... Now, I could have went, no, that's not right. No, no, you're not, you're not right. You're not right. You're not right. You young bucks, you're just not right. But they probably didn't know if they were right or not. But, but God knew. God knew. And God knew that, they, that, that this part of my life needed to be challenged. And um, it was humbling, but it was so, it was so freeing. So when God, when God wants to peel back layers, because what he wants is a deeper relationship. And how can we know him deeper if we have this, you know, how can you get to the core of the onion if you, if you leave the thing how it is? How does that work? It doesn't. So God wants to get to what's in here. And when we read that psalm, you know, David, <laughs> David just poured out his heart. So God wants to get to what's in here. And if we think that we've got it worked out, then we are seriously deluded because we just don't. I, don't. I never have it worked out. 
I don't, I don't have ministry worked out. You know, I thought I did. I don't have it worked out at all. I don't have my relationship with God worked out. I don't have my marriage worked out. I don't have my connection with my children worked out. I don't have church worked out. Man, you think you've got all these things happening in your life. I've got, I got this worked out, but we don't. We don't have it worked out. And that's why we need a saviour. We need God. And we need him to peel back our layers so that he begin, so that he can reach into our heart and touch things and change our life. So why? So we become more like him. Because I want to be more like Jesus. Why do I want to be more like Jesus? So I can touch other people with him. Not with Colin. Because if I touch people with Colin, they could be scarred for life. But if I touch people with Jesus, then they're going to be healed. And they're going to be changed. And that's going to be a great day. Not going to be a great day for me, but it's going to be a great day for him. It's going to be a great day for them. Praise God. I'm a little bit excited. Um, What about uh, the three S's? How about our security, our self-worth and our significance? Where do we get those from? Who do we get those from? Well, a lot of times we get them from every other place we can except from him, except from God. We get our self-worth from other people, from what we do as far as vacation goes. Um, we, get our, we, feel, I don't, we feel secure. You know, a lot of times, why, why, do, um, why do people go through so many relationships? Because why? Because they're looking for something that's secure. But they'll never find anyone except him. We look for those things in other places. We need to think about where do we get them from. The dark places. I think David talks about that. Hold on a minute. Yep. Verse 6 it says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, in those things that are hidden. Those things that we never want anyone to know about. We never want to let out. And a lot of times we don't even want God to know about them, but really he already does. He knows. And he wants to heal us from them. But while we keep him at bay and don't let him into our dark spots, our dark places of life, then he can't really heal them. So relationships... Religion is all about our world and we want to bring God to our world. God, do this. God, change that. God, make, my, make me okay. Make my life okay. But relationship is about entering his world. Us entering his world on whose terms? On his terms. On his terms. And his terms are for me, uh, Colin, I love you way too much to leave you like you are today. That's his terms. The first part about his terms is I love you. Now, if you want to understand God's love, read 1 Corinthians 13 and replace the word love with God. God is. That's love. He is love. He's perfect love. No love there's no love that surpasses him. He is love. So first thing is, is that God, God loves us. So his terms are all about love. So his terms are about making us like him. A revelation of the love of God is not a matter of rubbing a magic lamp. 
and he appears. Rather, God often has to untangle some things in us to help us see him. This process can take some time, you think, and is ongoing. It is not because he is waiting to see how sincere you are. It's because he is peeling back the layers to sort out those things that crowd him out of our heart and set our focus on our efforts and our own failures. Sometimes that means sorting through our own disappointments with him. The more you've tried to live religiously toward God, the more often you have probably been disappointed when he didn't do things you expected him to do. It might be an unanswered prayer or allowing a painful experience in your life. Residual anger, residual meaning, remaining, outstanding, left over, lingering, enduring, lasting, left behind. Anger at him and feelings of betrayal will cloud your eyes to his presence. Would it be best to ignore our frustrations, disappointments, hurt and pain? Absolutely not. It is far better to present all these things to him, bring them into the light. You know the amazing thing about the light? What's the most amazing thing about the light? About a light? Helps you see. If you walk into a dark room, if you flick that switch, what happens? You can see everything in that room. What happens if you keep it in darkness? Can't see anything. So, if our lives remain in darkness, how are we ever going to see what's there? We're not. But if we bring things into the light, and the light being connection with him, God, this is in my life, what am I going to do? Then they're seen. And a lot of times when they're seen, what happens to darkness when you turn the light on? It disappears. Talk about them in his presence. Ask him to show you a love that is bigger than your frustrations, disappointments, hurt and pain. And watch as he sets you free from them. Over time you will see that though Father doesn't keep you from all trouble and danger in your life, he is with you through them and can even redeem you out of them to shape your love for him and your compassion for others in pain. All you need to do is look to him, ask him to help you recognise what he is already doing and already whispering, doing in your life and already whispering in your heart. The quest here is not to get God to act towards you, but for you to begin to recognise that he already is. Let's read the last part of that Psalm 51, starting at verse 10. And we'll go to verse 14. This is David's cry. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you, 
Save me from blood guilt, O God. The God who saves me and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. I have a theory. I'm not sure that it's correct, but that's why I just call it a theory. And it's mine. In my life as a Christian, the most common prayer that I've ever heard is God bring revival. It's just because I'm insanely steeped in Pentecostalism. Please don't hold that against me. (laughs) Um, I could say I'm a recovering Pentecostal. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Um, God send revival. Bring us revival. It just is an incessant prayer. But if you read that psalm, from verse 10 to 12, it is all about, it's not about revival, it's about inner revival. God created me a pure heart, O God. Renew me a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What's the next word? Then, then, then. I'm telling you, folks, if you want revival, let God in. Let God in. Let God in like you never have before. Because I believe it begins with personal revival. And then you won't. You won't be able to help giving it away. You just won't. Because you will be in so infused and so connected to who God is. We, we won't need ministers of the gospel because you'll be them. You'll be him. I'll be a minister of the gospel. I won't have to have a title, but I'll just be a minister of the gospel because I'll be infused with a life-giving force with him. And that will be amazing. So we, we pray for these things. God, bring revival God save people. God has a plan. God has a plan. Who knows that? Who believes? Put up your hand if you believe that God's got a plan. Good. Glad you. Otherwise I'd be wondering why you're here. God has a plan. And the other amazing thing is to bring that to pass, he doesn't need me. What? He doesn't need me. Because his plan will be fulfilled with or without me. Why? Because he's God. And he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and however he wants to do it. He doesn't need me, but the, the most wonderful thing is, is that he wants me. He wants... Hey, get that? He wants me to be part of his plan. God wants Colin Patterson, extraordinary driving instructor, wants me... <laughs> He wants me to, part, to be part of his plan. Does that make... I mean, in a the, in the situation, this I get really excited. But some days, I go, oh, oh, gosh, he wants me to be part of his plan. Because to be part of his plan, he, he wants my heart. And he wants everything in it. Everything. The question is, am I prepared to give him everything in my heart? 
well, if I was honest about that right now, I'd say, no, I'm not. I'm not prepared to give him everything. But I, I so hope and I pray that I will be. As that I stay open to him, everything in here will come out. And then I'll become more and more like him. So what I'm giving away is less and less of me, but more and more of him. And that's how I believe that revival will come. As we give less and less of us away and we give more and more of him. And that, I mean, that involves to be part of a changing world. He wants to change us. He wants us to be part of his plan. He wants us to be him with skin on to the world around us. Jesus is perfectly or was or is perfectly connected to his father. Perfectly connected. When he walked on earth, he was, he was perfectly connected to his father. Living life out of that connection and empowering those around him to do the same. Why do you think that when Jesus spoke that the man with the shriveled hand was healed? Why? Why? Because he was perfectly connected to his heavenly father. Perfectly. So everything he did worked. Everything he did worked because he was in perfect relationship with his dad. Do you know that God wants that for us? He wants us to be in perfect connection with him. Now that might not happen until he returns. matter of fact, I'm pretty sure of it. But that will happen. But we're on a journey to that. We're on a journey from who we are in somewhat of our religious state to, he, to, his, to who he is calling us to be. So I just want to leave you with this. I've already said this, but I want to leave you with this thought. And perhaps it could be a little bit of a cry in our heart. What is the first thing that pops into your mind when you wake up? I heard this guy once talk about how God had changed his perception about how his day ran. So a lot of times, and I, I please understand this, that I understand that everyone has a life to live. We have things to do in our day. We certainly do. Life can be hectic and busy and we have things to do. But instead of bringing God into that world, how about we start our day by entering his? And he, is, he, he said, I wake up every morning now and I say, God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you have a plan for today and I so much want to be a part of it of your plan for today. What would you like me to do today? And does God come and sit in his bed and make it? No. But that means he's already ready to hear God. He's already ready. He's not up and he's not saying, now, in his mind he's going, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, God help me, I'll do this, God, do this, God help me, I'll do this, God, do this, God, God help me. God help me! He's not, that's not, it's saying, God, you, you have, it's acknowledging that he has a plan. He has a plan for the world. He has a plan for his church. He has a plan for you and he has a plan for me. And as I was sitting this morning thinking about that, I thought, I hardly ever do that. I talk about it. I read about it. But I rarely do it. I rarely just wake. Because this morning when I woke up, 
I was thinking, gee, I wonder how my sermon's going to go today. What's that all about? It's just all about me. Oh, how's it going to affect me? I wonder if people will listen. Well, if they do, they do. If they don't, they don't, I suppose. What can I do about that? Nothing. Nothing. But it wasn't about, God, I have an amazing opportunity today. I have an opportunity to give some of you away. Please help me do that. Please help me do that. Don't let it be full of my things. Let it be full of you. Let it be full of you. And I sat there and I thought, <laughs> and Susan said, what are you thinking about? I think you hate that when your wife says, what are you thinking about? And they don't, they don't believe that a man's mind can actually be blank. <laughs> but it can. Let me tell you, it can. No, it can't. <laughs> Often when we're driving and I'm silent, she said, what are you thinking about? And I said, I wish you didn't ask that question. Um, and she said, what are you thinking about? And I said, I'm thinking about how religious I am. Because life is just so much about me, about what I think, about what, how it's going to affect me. But what happens if I just woke up and said, God, I'm so glad that you have a plan for today. I'm so glad that you do. Because if it's left to me, I'm going to mess it up. But you have a plan. And I know the, the most reassuring thing is that he wants us to be a part of his plan for this day, for today. His plan will never be fulfilled today unless you're a part of it. Amen? Amen.